Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. I still need to push through fear every single day. Every single day. Does it get easier? No. Many of you know our guest today, Bill Petrie, but you might not know Bill's story. It's a story of setbacks, personal challenges, and successes that have shaped who he is today. Bill has over 17 years working in executive leadership positions at leading promotional products distributorships. In 2014, he launched Brandivate, the first executive outsourcing company solely focused on helping small and medium-sized promotional products enterprises responsibly grow their business. In 2017, Brandivate was acquired by Promo Corner, where he now serves as president. A featured speaker at numerous national and international industry events, a serial creator of content marketing and promo kitchen chef, Bill has extensive experience coaching sales teams, creating successful marketing campaigns, developing operational policies and procedures, creating and developing winning RFP responses, and presenting winning promotional product solutions to Fortune 500 clients. Bill is also the co-host of the popular industry podcast, Unscripted, where he and his fellow co-host, Kirby Hossaman, talk about current events that shape our business culture and our industry. Bill is known for his articulate, strong opinions, but our conversation takes a very vulnerable turn as we shift the spotlight to Bill and discuss the ups and downs of a career in the promotional products business and the lessons that we can all learn from it. Our recording took place in the new Promo Corner headquarters in Franklin, Tennessee, where Mark Graham, CommonSkew's co-founder and chief platform officer, and I were stopping through while on a five-city tour that took us through Tennessee, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas. This episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that empowers you to process more orders and grow your business. For more information or to start your free trial, visit CommonSkew.com. And now from Promo Corner HQ, our talk with Bill Petrie. So, Bill, either growing or stagnating, Mm -hmm. every brand, every company, every individual goes through some metamorphosis of some kind. So for some, it's this quiet, continuous unfolding. For others, it's a dramatic event, usually sparked by personal professional change or a challenge or some new kind of beginning or strategic initiative. And often these moments are crystallized and understood really only in hindsight. So we're exploring the topic as Mark and I are traveling this week and visiting with distributors and suppliers of reinventing oneself or one's business so that we can kind of uncover how we can purposefully integrate constant change into our lives to rebuild and renew. And Bill, you've gone through some significant professional changes through your career as we all have, and you seem to have reinvented yourself through your own series of proactive changes. So can you share a bit of your journey, the high watermarks as well as the low end? I want to say one thing for for our listeners real quick. I know Bill has this larger than life personality on air, I mean, he actually was a little nervous about talking about himself. We insisted, and we're extracting this out of Bill today. I know people are going to be surprised. They're going to be like, oh, come on. Bill's shy about talking about himself? I am. He was. So, and I can even tell you were a little bit nervous. So, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so I made notes for the first time in podcast <laughs> history. <laughs> so we're extracting this today out of Bill. I'm going to let you answer that question. Though. It's interesting. When I look back on my career, been in the promotional products business for 18 years. I was eight years at Halo. Went through the entire bankruptcy with them. I I joined Halo nine months before the bankruptcy, and I stayed for seven years afterwards. And I always like to say I was was a really good employee at Halo for seven and a half years. Unfortunately, they employed me for eight. 
So the last six months I was there, I was not the best employee. I, I didn't enjoy what I was doing. I, I had a hard time finding joy in it. And I'd love to tell you I was proactive and looked to go do something else, but I just stuck my head in the sand and kind of hoped it would all get better. And it didn't. And I was let go. So you talk about a low watermark as being let go and, and they were right to do so. They were absolutely right to do so. And Mark Simon and I have spoken about it since then. And they were tremendously kind to me on the way out the door, but I was not the best employee the last four or five months I was there. So that was always a low watermark for me. No one enjoys being asked to leave the building on someone else's terms. Mm -hmm. And and I was that that's a low watermark. Bill, you, you talk about being grateful for being shown the door at the time. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you felt at that time. Were you as grateful or were you pissed off, hurt, and not feeling maybe as charitable as you say you are right now? I was relieved. I was relieved. You know, when, when you go through something like that and and you, you make a conscious decision to do just enough to get by, just enough to not get noticed, just enough so that people will leave you alone. You walk in every day wondering if today's the day they're going to figure it out. Right. And so when they finally did and they were gracious to me and I, I will always be eternally grateful for that because they didn't have to be, they were gracious to me and it enabled me to move on. And I went on to summit marketing as their VP of sales for three years. And then, you know, talk about high watermarks, mm-hmm. a recruiter contacted me. And at the time it was the fifth largest office products company in the United States here in, in Nashville, wanted someone to come down and build and manage a promotional products division in their organization. And I always joke when I give talks about my background, if you have an opportunity to start a business with somebody else's money, I really recommend it. It's really cool. It's really cool. So the fact that somebody saw something in me and believed in me, that was great. And then I had another low watermark because we were knocking it out of the park with Guy Brown. And we were, after two years, we had done, we were doing $3 million a year and had a run rate of $6 million for a distributorship. That's pretty aggressive growth. Can you explain Guy Brown? Yes, I'm sorry. So Guy Brown at the time was the fifth largest office products company in the United States at about $250 million. Fully woman minority owned, which was very appealing to me as a distributor. And they they wanted someone to build and grow a promotional products division for them. And we knocked it out of the park. And so we were able to get appointments because we were fully woman and minority owned. I could basically call up UPS and get an appointment using their diversity manager. It was fantastic. So we were knocking out of the park and Guy Brown had a crossroads when the office products industry started consolidating in 2013 when Office Depot and Office Max merged and Guy Brown's partner on the office product side was Office Max. They got out of that agreement, formed an agreement with Staples, and I quickly found myself out of a job Mm. because they did not want a small little six million dollar promotional products business compared to what they were dealing with. Right, right, right. And that was a low that was probably my lowest point because I felt like I'd worked really hard. I'd put my blood, sweat, and tears into that and then I found myself, through no fault of my own, unemployed. Right. How long span are we talking from Halo to Summit? I left Halo in July of two thousand eight and I started at Summit in August of two thousand eleven. Not quite sure why my question is so relevant. I'm more curious about how long have you been in the business since 2000, so almost about 18 years now. Okay, yeah. 18 years. So you've done a lot of things, mostly in sales. Obviously, when you look back on a successful career in this business, what parts of the business brought you the most joy? The easy one and the accurate one is relationships. Um, 
I've been fortunate to, to have formed relationships with a lot of great people. You two certainly included in that. That's, that's brought me a lot of joy, um, most certainly. But I think finally getting to the point where I was comfortable in my own skin to be me, which I don't think I was for a long, long time in this industry. How long did it take you to do that? Is that, has that been recent or are you talking? I, I'd say it's within the last five years. Sure. Wow. I would. I'd say it got me until about 43 until I decided, and it was a conscious decision, but to have my own ideas validated, to throw my own ideas out there through the content marketing, which, you know, after I'd left Guy Brown, I started Brandivate and it was really just to find a job. And then it became an actual business, which I did not expect. And I always joke, I was an accidental entrepreneur right? because <laughs> there was no intent to do that. I don't, right. I have an entrepreneurial spirit, but truth be told, I don't have the stomach to right. be an entrepreneur long-term. And so to produce the content that I have and to put myself out there, because it was a very conscious decision that, okay, I've got nothing to lose here. There's only so many jobs at that VP level at a distributorship or a right. supplier that I would like to do. Right. I decided to throw myself out there. And so to have those ideas validated um, has brought me a tremendous amount of joy. And then like building Brandivate to what it became and then selling that to Promo Corner and now being here, I find a tremendous amount of joy. But you were petrified when you started doing that. I was scared shitless. Absolutely. It makes me wonder, Mark, and I'm, I'm kind of asking, I'll ask both, this of both of you, is we're talking about this process of reinvention, but I often wonder if it's as much the process of reinvention as it is an unfolding Mm -hmm. and the, the willingness or the permission, if you will, that you grant yourself to be yourself as opposed to the personas or the layers that you've accumulated through the years that, that you think you should be to other people. I think you're a hundred percent right. I think we start off very pure in this world as a baby and mm -hmm. you get taught through experiences and through fear to, yeah. I got to put this wall up here and people want me to answer this way and act that way. Yeah. And it took me, I'd say, like I said, 43 years to have the courage to just say, you know what? I think I have some good ideas here and I think it's okay to share them. <laughs> I laugh. That's an empathetic laugh. I'm mean, totally empathize that. So Bill, we're talking about this, this idea of you not really feeling like you were yourself until mm -hmm. about five years ago. And if you look at the arc of your career, you started at Halo a large company, one of the largest in our industry. You then moved to Summit itself, also a significant size company. Sure. You then moved to Guy Brown, mm -hmm. also a significant size a company. Yes, the promotional products division was small, but right. you were you were working within a large company. And then you moved to a smaller company environment, a very small company, mm -hmm. brand of eight, company mm -hmm. of one, and then now, yep. of course, with Promo Corner. And I, I'm wondering, is there a link between you being an employee at a much larger company and not feeling like you've got the kind of voice that you really want to have relative to being in a smaller environment. I think it was coincidental, but intentional. I will answer that by saying, I think I craved the anonymity a large company affords because you can blend in, you can have an idea here and there. You know, I think you guys are both fans of Seinfeld. And there's a great episode where George Costanza realizes that he needs to end every meeting on a high note. 
And so he'd make a joke, realize people were laughing, and then dart out the door. You guys familiar with that, right? It's a fine sales tactic. <laughs> it is. But I think that's who I was. I would say the one thing, or I'd, I'd come up with what I thought, okay, this will be accepted. And when it was, it'd be, okay, I'm out. I'm good. And just leave it, leave it there. So I think the innate fear that I had at that time, I craved the anonymity a large company affords. You can hide. You could hide. Yeah. So Bill, switching gears a little bit here. Yep. One of your strengths that probably me and everybody else has noticed about you is, is a, this relentlessness. Mm -hmm. A two-part question. Where does this come from? How has this shaped who you are? I mean, how does it impact the work you do? But where does this come from? To me, where it comes from, um, I would love to be sappy and say, gosh, my dad taught me at a very early age to work hard <laughs> and get ahead. And, and, and my dad was definitely a hard worker, but I didn't learn that from him. I think I looked at my God-given talents and what they are and realized I'm a Petri. So I'm not the fastest, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the quickest, <laughs> I never will be. And so I made a conscious decision right when I started, I think Guy Brown to really just, you know, it's time to pour myself into something. I think that's why it was such a low point when that ended because I'd poured my heart and soul into it and we had succeeded, but yet I still found myself out of a job. I think at that point I made a conscious decision. No one is ever going to outwork me again because when I was at Halo, like I said, those last six months, I was not a hard worker. I, I was present. I did the stuff I was supposed to do, but that was it. And I made a conscious decision that no one's ever, ever going to outwork me. And I take a tremendous amount of pride in that. Mm. And then you asked how it shaped who I am and the work that I do. I think it's given me confidence. You know, I look back on my life and like I said, never the fastest, strongest, whatever. I swam year round. That was my sport of choice in high school, was in school, was swimming. Okay, okay. right. In ninth and 10th grade, you're generally on the junior varsity team. And on 11th and 12th grade, you're generally on the varsity team. And I took that as a, as a given. And I was a distance guy. I was never a sprinter, but I could do a 400 individual medley and a 500 free. I could do the distance events. And I remember trying out in 11th grade and not making the varsity team. And that crushed me because now I'm going to have to be with the freshmen and sophomores. And I remember going to the swim coach and said, I will work hard give me a chance. Please give me a chance. And he said, I'm going to put you in the last lane. You're the last guy in the last lane and you've got a week to prove yourself. And I never, never dropped off that team. And so I look back as I look back on the decision now to work as hard as I do is that was a real turning point for me, really kind of pleading my own case and learning how to work hard and the rewards for it. It's interesting as I hear this, the shape of your life and how failure has shaped you Mm -hmm. as much or more than success not because you failed more but just it's just you had this very strong pronounced note in your life yep and i don't think i succeed because i'm better than others i think i experience success because i'm willing to work in the dirt i really really am and i now thrive in that i enjoy that stuff. what do you mean by that work in the dirt i mean i will do anything you know i may have the title of president of promo corner but that doesn't mean i'm not mopping up at night doesn't mean i'm not right. making a sales call doesn't mean that i'm not taking somebody's email address off of a list that they've asked to be removed from i don't care let's just get shit done and move forward right right it's interesting to hear you say that in terms of like mopping the floor and i don't think you would have done that in the earlier part of your career when you no. were at halo when you were in an environment where you wanted to hide yep so Bill, I want you to take us back to the day you are let go from Guy Brown. Okay. So here's a company that you built this thriving promotional products division mm -hmm. from hardly anything. You were really proud of the work that you did. You invested your heart and soul into it and you're out of a job. 
because of a financial transaction mm-hmm. with Staples. No fault of anyone's, it's nope. just the way it is. How do you pick yourself off from the floor mm-hmm. the next day? Because most people wouldn't get out of bed for a month. I didn't. I'd love to tell you that the next day I was determined. It happened a week before the PPAI Vegas show, oh. but they were very kind to me. And they said, go, go there. We'll pay for your trip and go find a job. And I tried to, and there's a nine month haze in 2014 where I worked for a small distributorship in Colorado and it wasn't a very good fit, but they had offered me a portion of ownership. And because I wanted, I craved some sort of control over my own destiny because I felt so, Mm, I don't want to say betrayed. You have to make the financial decisions you have to make, but it felt like a betrayal because we had done such good work to lose my job at Guy Brown. And then I had worked at another distributorship and that wasn't a good fit either. And so to find my mojo again, for lack of a better term, Mark, I, at night, I decided to start playing with the idea of starting my own company with the thought of finding a job. So I wanted to put my resume online in a different way. And so I went to Wix and I just started playing with it. (laughs) And I put all, everything I would put in a resume on website form recommendations from peers, things I had done, things I'm good at, a little bit of personality because I still believe people like to buy from people they know, like, and trust. And I'm really selling myself at that point. And I decided to come up with a company name. And when I built that and I was very scared and I shared it to with a couple of people, I know I shared it with you, Mark. And I didn't, you know, there's part of me that certainly wanted people to say, man, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And <laughs> some people did. And then there were people I needed to question that. You did. You said, do you have the stomach yeah, for this? That would be. Yeah. I remember you asking me and I said, I think I do. Hmm. So that's what got my confidence back was building that and looking at my life and thinking, you know, I do have something to offer. And, and I got angry. I got angry that I had wasted 14 years keeping that bottled up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this, this leads this is a nice segue into our next topic. So another strength that you've either acquired and it sounds obvious that you have through this series of bold moves mm-hmm. or, or just this series of happenstances. Perhaps this has always been a part of your DNA, but it's risk, mm-hmm. right? So what have you learned about vulnerability and risk as it relates to building a profession? You know, like I said, starting Brandivate, I really had no choice but to take some risk and put myself out there. I, mm-hmm. I felt it was my last play in the industry is I've got to put myself out there and see if there's a market for the real Bill Petrie, mm-hmm. not this version of Bill Petrie I'd given people for many, many years. And so I learned very quickly as I started writing blogs, because I've always enjoyed writing. I've always used writing as a cathartic tool for me, whether it's right. personal or whatever. And I've always enjoyed it. And I started putting those thoughts out there. And almost instantly, I, I got some validation from people that I respected, but didn't know very well. Mm-hmm. And I remember you know, Mark was very kind with things he had said. And, and Danny Rosen and you, you had reached out and there's a couple other people. And I learned very quickly that the more authentic I am, the more right this feels. Mm. And, and Danny Rosen, I think says it best that vulnerability is, is sexy. And I learned that authenticity is too. And those two go very much hand in hand. So I think I learned as I've been authentic, as I've been I've shared a lot of this before. I don't think of this in this linear format where I've been this probably raw. So this is, this is hard for me. My hands are, my palms are sweating a little bit. <laughs> right. But it's why I, I, it's why I like asking the questions. Uh, isn't, that right? the, yeah. isn't that the best position totally, to asking totally. the questions? Yeah. But I've learned that people are really interested in the journey, not so much the destination. In other words, I think everybody knows the struggle is real. 
right? We all say that the struggle's real, but as a society, we seem to gravitate towards the overnight successes, even though those don't really exist. And, but we gravitate toward that. So I think a, th- a certain amount of risk is necessary. And I have really just embraced fortune favors the bold. And I've been very fortunate since I've made that decision. I just want to make a comment, Bill, because you've been talking a lot about how you found yourself when you moved into this more entrepreneurial role and that you struggled to find yourself when you were in a larger company role. I can tell you as someone who has been an entrepreneur from day one in this industry, Mm -hmm. that I spent probably the same amount of time that you spent feeling vulnerable within your large company environment. I sure as hell felt that in a very small company entrepreneurial environment. Oh, I bet. Right? And it's interesting that I would go to shows, whether it was the Canadian National Show or the PPAI Expo or the ASI shows, that I would walk around and I would see the name badges, Halo and Geiger and BDA and right. uh, Jack Nadell, all these mm-hmm. great large companies, and they are great companies in our industry. And I would look at them and say, oh, they've, they've just got so much more than I do. I'm just this small little guy with a couple of employees. And it's interesting how that uh, Seth Godin calls it the lizard brain, mm-hmm. that reptile part of your brain that says you're not great, that yep. resistance, how I had that voice for many, many years, and it took having that confidence in what you were building and not comparing yourself to other people Mm -hmm. to go, you know what? I'm doing something great. I'm doing something great for me. So it's interesting to hear your story, yet you were the company man. And Mm -hmm. I looked up to people like you because- Nobody looked up to me. Well, trust me People like you, not you. (laughs) Of course not me. I mean, let's be clear about that. So I I just think that's an interesting point that all of us within the industry, whether you're big company man or woman, or you're the person working out of your garage and you're just starting your company like I did 17 years ago, that all of us have our insecurities and our vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. and, and feel that we don't measure up to the next man or woman that you see at the show. You know, and I think that that's not a terribly constructive way of leading your life. No, but I think everybody feels it. And of course, you guys know me well enough. I can draw any parallel to Van Halen, which I will do so now. <laughs> I believe that even Eddie Van Halen, every time right before he goes on stage, thinks, is tonight the night they're all going to figure out I'm really a fraud, that I can't play guitar. I really believe that. I still have that fear before I hit send on a blog post. I have that fear before I go stand up and speak. I have that fear before I walk in on this podcast. So I think that's just part of the human condition. But I think I, I I believe now though, I draw strength from sharing that vulnerability and saying, you know what, if I call it out there, it's not so scary anymore. Yeah. I'm just a dude. Yeah. It's taken me over 40 years to finally get to a point where I realized that if I feel like it's vulnerable, then it's pro- an indication that I probably should do it. Yeah, you're onto something. You're onto something. You so this whole yin-yang of vulnerability and risk, yeah, it, it's almost a requirement. Oh, I think so. I to, think so. To do anything worthy. I absolutely think so. Bill, you thought that this interview was going to be all about you. I was hoping so. And, <laughs> and, that, and that's... And that's where you're wrong, my friend, because we're going to do Bobby a favor and ask him a question. Oh, I like that. We're going to ask him a question. So we've been talking a little bit about this idea of this journey of being an employee and working for a larger established company. And Bobby, you would also fall into that category as well, having grown through the ranks at a large distributor within the industry, mid to large size distributor. 
and had been there for some time. How would you explain the transition from the security of working at a mid to large size company where you'd been for some time to go and jump into a new opportunity where potentially there was uncertainty, definitely the suspect quality of some of the colleagues that you were working with. But how would you explain that transition from going from something very secure and stable to something a little different? What you don't know is that Catherine guaranteed me hazard pay nice. of working with you. So it really wasn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> I think this goes back to the topic of rather than reinventing yourself, it's more an unfolding than a reinvention and being willing to allow yourself to do the things that you actually find joy in doing mm-hmm. is I think a really risky thing because financial security, uh, all the things that you think you're supposed to be doing, the career track that you think you're supposed to be on versus the things that you find joy in doing. And I've always told you about this, that I love the work itself, which I think is always like, I think that's a big deal to love. I mean, I have to work with you, right? (laughs) But I think you hit on something. I think we all have that fear. Yeah, and I think we all put these masks on and say, this is the version I think people want to <laughs> yep, see me. In. Totally. I will tell you as someone who's constantly afraid and I still am. Yep. Right. Yep. I will tell you it's the most freeing thing I've ever done is to, I like to be liked. That's yep. just who I am totally. as a core human being. Yep. And it's been the most freeing thing to realize, you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea and you know what? That's okay. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. So, you know, you get tired of things happening to you and you decide I'm going to make them happen for me. (laughs) Right. The way I want them to be. And if it doesn't work out, you know what? I've got a family who who loves me very much. And if I go work at Home Depot, that doesn't change that. Yeah. Yeah. I think Bill, you and I share very similar roles. Obviously that's what I do is content as well. And every time before I publish, as I record a podcast, as I'm writing questions, it's taking me years to be comfortable with vulnerability and risk being the yin yang Mm -hmm. of your professional career. Now, I I think as salespeople, you kind of get that, Mm -hmm. but that's a different deal. I mean, in my opinion, you're not putting yourself into that game as Mm -hmm. much as you are this game. Right. So in this game, you're tracking your own opinions. Mm -hmm. You're, you're really putting yourself out there in a vulnerable way. And I've upset some people with opinions. I mean, Mark will tell you, I'm, I can, and you've told me I can be a pretty opinionated person. Right. And I'm okay with that. As long as I handle the subject matter respectfully, I don't mind defending a position. If I think something's wrong, I'm okay with that. Yeah. On this topic, then we each have this kind of persona in the business that's really only a facet really of who we are. Mm -hmm. So you, Bill, you have a very, your persona is this very strong, opinionated, and I say all that respectfully, outgoing persona. Behind this, I suspect, and you've told us through this episode, really, Mm -hmm. is more fear than we know or can tell. Yep. Have you learned to leverage fear as a catapult for change versus fear as a debilitation that sort of results in stagnation? You know, like I said, I'm scared all the time. I'm scared every single day that Joel Moore and the Moore family who own Promo Corner mm-hmm. have put a lot of faith in me and I never want to disappoint them. So I'm, I'm scared that I'll disappoint them. Right. I'm scared that the podcast that I think when this goes out, will be out for a week or two. I'm scared that that's going to, you know, end up like a lead balloon. You know, with, <laughs> we've been very fortunate that Unscripted has had some success and I'm yeah. worried that, will the next podcast have any success? So I'm scared all the time. And I really just think fear is a part of the human condition. And yeah. I think like I said, I'm more comfortable sharing mine because that almost gives me the shield 
to do what I want because I know everybody else is scared too. Yeah. That's the thing. That's we all, we can all pretend that nobody's scared, true. Yeah, but we all are. And so, like I said, I, I think I spent way too much of my life and I look back, you know, you wish you could change little things, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. maybe I wouldn't be the person I am today. But I, I think I've spent way too much of my life allowing fear to rule my actions or inaction. Yeah. I'm not good enough to work there, so I'm not going to apply there. Right. I don't want to go to that party because there's some really cool people there and I don't think I can hang with them. And we've all felt that before. Right. And now I just have a pretty good pocket of I don't give a shit and that's okay. And I've, I've made peace with that. And so I've used it as a catalyst to say, you know what? You've got to push forward. I think you said it before we came on is that, if, or you said it a few seconds ago, if I'm uncomfortable doing something, there's probably something there. There's probably something there. Promo Corner has undergone its own metamorphosis. It's a media company mm-hmm. and you've been very vocal about the changes. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about reinventing a company? <laughs> you don't turn the Queen Mary around on a dime. That's for sure. You know, Promo Corner was a successful company when I came on board, just very reliant on one revenue stream. By the way, can you describe to our listeners what Promo Corner is for those that may not even have any idea what Promo Corner is? So traditionally, Promo Corner has been an email marketing service for suppliers in the industry. There's been a content portion to Promo Corner as well, but the the large stream of revenue really has been email marketing of suppliers. And, And it's something we do very, very well. I mean, very, I can tell you click rates and I can tell you all sorts of things. It does work, but I don't know what that looks like in two years. And I don't like that large of a percentage of the company I work for getting into one bucket like that. That keeps me up at night. And so the first thing I knew we had to do, and it was a condition actually of me joining the organization is we need to change the branding. We need to change the messaging. We need to change everything because you know, I'd made Brandivate work to a point where I was able to sustain my family and things like that. So I was kind of in a position, a little bit of the catbird seat because I'd had some offers, but I also know I'm kind of unemployable because I, I have very opinionated and I want things to go a certain way. And I think I, I think I know what I'm doing enough to where that's what, where I'll succeed. And Joel Moore was absolutely, that's got to be part of it. And so I needed to shift the conversation. The, the question I got, I'll tell you, it was funny. I joined Promo Corner and we made the big announcement and universally it was like, man, that is so great. They bought your company. And I remind me again, what does Promo Corner do? And that, that validated everything. I believe that we needed to really educate people what Promo Corner does. And so my vision for Promo Corner is that we're a media company and we provide content. We provide uh, email marketing services. We provide other marketing services, digital and otherwise. What were your priorities in the first 30 days on the job? Learn. Shut my mouth listen and learn. That was it. Get to know the team. I had people all over the Eastern seaboard. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I told Joel that I would not make any changes for the first 90 days because I needed to learn, understand, get a really good idea of what I was inheriting. And on day 91, what did you do? Started making changes, Mark. Can you get a little bit more specific for our listeners here, Bill? I think at day 91, I started slowly. Again, I I didn't want to come in and start making wholesale changes. So I wanted to learn if the preconceived notions I had walking in would be validated or thwarted. Most were validated, some were thwarted. So the ones that were validated, we started making changes on messaging. We started making changes on branding. We started rebuilding the website. Um, We started looking at things internally in terms of communication because the communication wasn't there with Eastern Seaboard. So I started making changes and started putting my stamp on things. I thought that coming in on day one and saying, okay, I'm Bill Petrie and I know what the hell I'm doing. 
wrong, wrong move. Cause honestly I didn't, I needed to learn. And so I started making changes, putting people in different roles. And I looked at what we were doing. Like for example, Pomo Corner would put out news releases. We sucked at it. So why are we doing it? People don't go to Promo Corner for news. They go to Promo Marketing or ASI or PPAI. And so they do it really well. So why do I want to be the fourth best guy doing that? I'd rather focus my resources on stuff we do well and let's improve our content. Let's improve uh, our, our distributor offerings, our supplier offerings. Let's make a portal a lot more transparent, things like that. So Joel had started this company a while ago. Yep, 1999. And, and presumably like most entrepreneurs, and I speak as one, are very proud of what mm-hmm. they've built. No question. There's also no question that when they choose to hire a president, that they have to be open-minded to change. But at the same time, ego sometimes gets in the way. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you navigated those waters mm-hmm. when you were suggesting changes that might have sounded like you telling Joel's baby that it was ugly? Yeah. How did you do that without getting fired? Mark, that's a darn good question. I'm really glad you asked it. I told Joel from the beginning that I want to make sure that I'm respectful to what he built, but if you want to take it to the next level, there's got to be change. And he was very open to that from day one. And what I love about the relationship I have with Joel is I have no fear of suggesting, let's change this, let's move that. And he will push back on me and I will be able to push back on him. And so it's, it's that friction, the necessary friction that creates that, that greatness, Yeah. right? There's a reason that, again, I can always bring it back to Van Halen. There's a reason that Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth made beautiful music together because personally, they didn't like each other very much. Right, to say the least. Yeah, and you listen to what's universe by their fans, universally regarded as their greatest album, Fair Warning. Eddie would record stuff at night. David would record during the day. They wouldn't even talk to each other because they were so angry with each other. Now, we don't, Joel and I don't have that type of friction. And at the end of the day, he will have the final say. But to his credit, he will more often than not, if he disagrees, let's try it your way and let's reevaluate in 30, 60, 90 days. And I couldn't ask for a better partner. And that's what I really was looking for when I joined a company. I couldn't ask for a better partner to work with, counsel me, support me, challenge me. It's interesting to me, the parallels that are going on here. You have the reinvention of Bill Petrie. Yep. Then you have the reinvention of Promo Corner. Mm-hmm. What have you learned? I've learned a lot. I think I've been emboldened by the success we've had so far. By, by the way, can I interrupt and ask what that success is? So, so yeah. some folks may still be asking, yeah. your revenue is derived from email marketing and advertising, right? Yes. And yeah. you've seen, already seen success in the right. short time that you guys have turned this around. Right. We've seen some tremendous growth last year and we're, we're on par to grow at, at equal rate this year. I think, you know, one of the things that's been most rewarding is just walking into a room and seeing people and whether I know them or you don't, and they'll say something along the lines of, we love what you're doing. What you're doing with Promo Corner is great. I'll give a perfect example without naming the customer. We got a really nice contract in late last year from a large supplier and I sent them a note. I'd been talking to them. I said, hey, thank you very much for the faith you've put in us. We're, we're going to do right by you. And the response almost brought a tear to my eye because I can get real emotional and I'll probably get emotional about it now. But he said, thank you for creating something that I want to be a part of. Mm. And I'll never, nice. I've saved that email. Yeah, I, I love that. That in the fact that I think, gosh, I'm really creating something people want to be a part of is, is amazing to yeah. me. Yeah. And so that has emboldened me that maybe I'm really onto something. Yeah. 
What do you think it was that the supplier was looking to be a part of when they invested in you? Because suppliers only have a finite amount of money. Which is unfortunate for me. It is unfortunate. <laughs> exactly. Wouldn't it be great if customers had an infinite really, supply of money? It really would. It would, I, it would. it would make things a lot easier. It sure would. But since the challenge is that they only have a finite amount of money, right. they were directing funds to you sure. over a competitor. What was it that they were investing in with you? I say this, and you guys know me well enough. This is very difficult for me to say, but I think they invested in me in what I'm building with a lot of great people, a lot of support. It's not just me, but I really took it as a personal responsibility. So I don't say that for, hey, let's pat me on the back. It's more of a, man, I really better do right by that customer because they're investing in me. And so that's the short answer. The more politically correct answer is probably, you know, I think we're doing some great things with content. I think we're, we're one of the most consistent, high quality content producers in the industry and blah, 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 yak, yak, yak. But I do think it was an investment in, in a belief in me. And I take that very seriously. Bill, I also wanted to answer that question as someone who has invested in you as a customer mm -hmm. of Promo Corner. And I can tell you that before you arrived, I didn't know Promo Corner existed. And then you joined and put them on the map, or at least made them aware to me. Again, as an entrepreneur with only a finite amount of funds, what I wanted to be a part of was what you were building and your connection with the market. And that is, that's important. That's important to an advertiser. That's important to a brand. Right. And not everyone does that. And so I suppose I'm answering right. the question in my own way uh, from a personal experience. And I think that the sympathy investment only goes so far. I agree. Right? You have to perform. Yeah, you have to perform. And, and I can certainly say that we joke around the office at CommonSkew. We look at some people that are involved in the platform and go, oh, you know, that's a sympathy investment because they just liked Mark and Catherine. Right. And unfortunately, those days are long past us because. <laughs> right. That, that'll only sustain you for a, maybe a couple of months. But at the end of the day, uh, what, what you're creating is, is that unique emotional bond with the audience. And we want to be a part of that. Well, thank you for that. Bobby, I, I want to finish answering your yeah. question about yeah. what I've learned. I still have a very high need to prove myself every single day. You know, we talked about being worthy and we just moved into permanent location here, which we're sitting in right now. And I love walking in here every day, but every day I need to earn it. Every single day, I need to earn this building and this nice furniture and this great space and the little bar I have over there for the adult beverage of the week. I need to earn that. And so I have a great need for that. I still need to push through fear every single day. Every single day. Does I'm it get so, easier? No. Um, it gets to where I don't think about it as much. Yeah. But there's that every once in a while, it, and you know, it's, it's just, it's insidious. It's an insidious little beast because it comes out of nowhere. And I like, agree why am I so nervous all of a sudden about this? Right. And so I just kind of say, Hey, you need to shut up. I know what I'm doing over here and push through it. I think recently I've learned that I need to breathe a little bit. I've been putting in 15, 16 hour days relentlessly. And even Joel has said, Hey, you need to slow down. You're going to burn out. And, and I need to listen to that more. And that's hard for me because yeah, for sure, where, you know, that's why I'm very honest sharing, hey, I was not a hard worker my last six months of Halo, but I'm an incredibly hard worker now. No one's going to outwork me. Yeah. And I think the last thing I've learned, and it's been a hard lesson, is I can't teach care. 
And it's a trap I've fallen into. I've always said that when I've managed salespeople, I can't want more for a salesperson than that salesperson wants for themselves. And I can't teach people to care. And so I've made it a point when I'm hiring new people, I want them to care more than anything else. I want them to buy into the vision and care about the work we're doing and care that their name's on it. Not that my name's on it. I don't, that's not, that's irrelevant, but that their name's on it. If I've got that, I can teach the other part. We can all learn the other part, but I can't teach care. And I've, I've fallen into that trap a couple times where I've like, gosh, I really want to, I want this person to care and they don't. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting close to wrapping up here, but before we leave, was there any single topic we didn't touch on that you wanted to touch on? I was hoping we would talk about the pros and cons of Hitchhiking, the great album by Roger Waters right, be, right after he left Pink Floyd. But uh, other than that, I think we've covered it all. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you for coming to Promo Corner South here in Bucolic, Franklin, Tennessee. It is Bucolic, Franklin, Tennessee. Beautiful, beautiful weather. Thanks for having us here. Thanks for opening up your business home to us. It's been uh, warm and generous. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.